This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. Face of the three legs of the triad, though, do you have a priority? Because I want to go to Senator Rubio well, I, I after think, that. I think him. to me, Luke, nuclear is just the, the power, the devastation is very important to me. By Islamic <laughs> radical terrorism will be should, was, should the Silicon Valley companies we should be used to bomb Raqqa. We do need our defense capabilities. <laughs> the, the problem is manage of that situation and grow more. You know, we, this president's not trusted. <laughs> and that pretty much sums up the range. Not the spirit, but the range of the debate. Yet, now, with 24 hours reflection, this was maybe the most important presidential debate of maybe the most important presidential election in the United States of America. Day before yesterday... We talked about what people needed to do. Yesterday, we talked about whether or not they did what they needed to do. Somebody made an enormous commitment yesterday. Nobody mentioned it. I was waiting. One major candidate made one of the top four, made a major commitment yesterday, like a cornerback who cuts covering a running back or a receiver, and it means everything, which step you take. Someone did that yesterday, and we didn't catch it. But we're going to catch it today because it was an enormously important debate. It's the one we take home for Christmas. And thus, we will know a lot more about who it is that's going to win after today's show, Excelsior. Welcome back, my radio family. I am Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest in radio. Together we are the Blaze Radio Network. Live it, learn it, love it, and use it via 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Let's listen to some more to give it its due. And because upon reflection, I realize, and I said so, I said so on the blaze after dark, first question, first answer. The other night when I was on with Doc and Skip and the uh, there were opinions expressed that this was really boring and, and I agreed that in part it was boring and it was too long and I agree that in part it was too long and there were too many people on the stage. I agree it was overpopulated, but I also said... And this is within 60 seconds of the end of the debate. 
I said, I think this was the most enjoyable and important, maybe edited, you know, edited to an hour. This was the most enjoyable and important presidential debate, maybe ever. The following audio may either sustain that comment or sully it. But either way, in the next two hours, we're going to know not only who won and lost the debate, but what the debate meant. We're going to put the debate to bed, but when we put it to bed, we're going to walk out of the room and say, well, here's what it was all for. Here's what it meant. Here's where it leaves us. Maestro, you may start with cut number three. It would be disastrous. His favorite movie is apparently Princess Bride. Ted, getting in bed with Iran and Russia to save Assad is inconceivable. Princess Buttercup would not like this. I have a feeling that Princess Buttercup was probably Lindsey Graham's uh, not only favorite character in Princess Bride, but I think Princess Buttercup probably did a, a lot to inform uh, Lindsey Graham as to his uh, personality growing up. I, I, it's just a, I'm not a psychoanalyst, nor do I play one on the radio, but that's just my guess. We just thought we'd throw that one in there for you to give uh, more than due respect to the uh, junior G-man debate. I don't think we need to do any more. Uh, Sebastian, let's start up with uh, audio recording number five. You know, I think Marco gets it completely wrong. (laughs) We are not any safer through the bulk collection of all Americans' records. In fact, I think we're less safe. We get so distracted by all of the information, we're not spending enough time getting specific immigration, specific information on terrorists. The other thing is, is the one thing that might have stopped Senator Bernardino, that might have stopped 9-11, would have been stricter controls on those who came here. And Marco has opposed at every point increased security, border security for those who come to our country. On his Gang of Eight bill, he would have liberalized immigration, but he did not, and he steadfastly opposed any new border security requirements for refugees or students. So Marco can't have it both ways. He thinks he wants to be this, oh, I'm great and strong on national defense, but he's the weakest of all the candidates on immigration. He is the one for an open border that is leaving us defenseless. If we want to defend the country, we have to defend against who's coming in. And Marco is, has more of an allegiance to Chuck Schumer and to the liberals than he does to conservative policy. Now, you heard two tremendously volatile statements there or 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 in in that statement you heard two tremendously volatile elements one is that marco rubio i don't know what else you can call a guy i mean what you call could you call him a justin beaver fan i don't what what is it you call him after you say in a republican primary that one of your opponents a republican has more allegiance to Chuck Schumer, the Democrat senator of New York. After you say that someone loves Chuck Schumer and loves him more than he loves conservatives, 
What more can you call the guy? I mean, it's like the old joke I stuck up for the other day. Yeah, did you? Yeah. Someone said, you eat poo sandwiches. And what did you say? I said, that's not true. I happen to know he doesn't like bread. I mean, what do you say about a guy after you say, this guy Rubio? He loves Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer, the name Chuck Schumer is known to everyone who will cast a vote in a Republican primary. And Chuck Schumer's name, face, policies, everything about him represents essentially the same thing that the crucifix represents to Dracula with roughly the same effect. The second crucial element you heard in that cut is that I don't know if it matters because it came from a dead man. And that's a big statement I'm making, and you may disagree with it. But the the charge being made is only as important as the source from whence it comes, yes? If a guy standing down on the street corner of my village on a soapbox screaming that Richard Nixon took money from, uh, you know, the Russians, uh, I'm probably less likely to look in to the historical charge that Nixon took money from the Russians because if it were on theblaze.com, I would say, look at this story. Nixon took money from the commies. But if it comes from a guy who is marinating in his own pee, uh, standing on a soapbox, I'm probably less likely to pay attention to it. Now, without any other invidious comparisons intended, what I'm saying is the charge that Marco Rubio is all for open borders, which is true, but put an asterisk there. The fact that Marco Rubio is more open borders, more pro-illegal immigrant, less against protecting our borders than any other candidate on the stage in that debate is a very serious charge. It would have been more serious had it been leveled by a more serious candidate. Because as of that debate two nights ago, Guru Jay say that charge about Rubio, though it's true for reasons I will substantiate in a moment, though the charge is true, the accusation leveled is true, in fact, it was leveled by a dead man because that's what Rand Paul is at this point politically like his hairdo. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? 
Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network, one 888 Question, comment, complaint, criticism, other bull mull, as you feel appropriate for today's excellent show. Please help us make it more excellent, ideally speaking. We're replaying the audio that Sebastian has cut so to refresh our taste buds as to what was said night before last and to get us a little bit onto the fairway there so that all of this makes sense when we start to do the final analysis and the final analysis will be in today's show because someone has put down almost all of their chips now if you want to call I've already hinted at it I can't give you a bigger hint than that. But when you consider who I, I can I can make that hint even fatter by saying if you consider who votes in a Republican primary and if you consider the issues most important to them and it makes their blood boil and which positions on those issues make their blood boil one way or the other. One of the major candidates has already pushed almost all of his chips into the center of the table. I was waiting to see if it would come up yesterday. I poked at it a couple times. I had intended to mention it before the end of the show, as usual. I yacked. I ran out of time. I didn't mention it. But it's out there. If you want to be the first, one 900 Three three nine three. We will get there. Audio number six. That Our is troops. The, that is accurate. Three times he voted against the Defense Authorization Act, which is a bill that funds the troops. It also, by the way, funds the Iron Dome and other important programs. And I have to assume that if you vote against it in the Senate, you would also veto it as president. That's Rubio attacking Cruz. It's Rubio attacking Cruz on what? On national defense. The question is, standing there as they did night before last, does, and we, we just talked about this principle, does, you can, you can make a charge against someone, but it depends who you are and whether you've got the chops to make the charge. This is a great irony of American politics. If tomorrow morning I come out and say, I know Barack Obama was not born in America. Now, that charge could be true, and by the way, I believe it's true, and I always have. But that doesn't matter, and one of the reasons it doesn't matter is because it's me. And I'm insufficiently important to make a charge that sticks. Nobody in the national media. I was once in a position that if I made a charge like that, I'd have had a one-shot deal. I could have gotten the Washington Post and the network's uh, in a in a in a weak way, but I could have gotten them to run that. 
And that would have been it. I'd have been finished. But I don't have I don't have that juice of that kind anymore. So here is Rubio accusing Cruz of being insufficiently strong on national defense. There are two problems with this. The charge itself is not credible. And the attacker is inadequately credible to make it stick. Number seven. But more broadly, you know, the notion Marco is suggesting that, that, that somehow he, he also has tossed uh, more than a few insults this direction. Let's be absolutely clear. ISIS and radical Islamic terrorism will face no more determined foe than I will be. We will utterly destroy them by targeting the bad guys. And one of the problems with Marco's foreign policy is he has far too often supported Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama undermining governments in the Middle East that have helped radical Islamic terrorists. We need to focus on killing the bad guys, not getting stuck in Middle Eastern civil wars that don't keep America safe. See, here is an illustration of what I said a moment ago. I don't know, and you probably don't know, how true that criticism of Rubio is. But I'll bet you believe it. I do, because it comes from Cruz. And for a campaign, a Republican primary campaign in which 50% of the equation has thus far been absent, a wall, and that 50% is, is he a conservative? Or is he conservative in his views, viewpoints, values? We somehow intuit that Cruz is. We do not intuit, for a lot of reasons, that Rubio is. Thus, when Rubio makes a claim that says Cruz is weak on national defense, that's really a stretch, both because of what we think of Cruz, but also what we think of the attacker, what we think of Rubio. When Cruz, however, attacks Rubio... On something, especially something that we already suspect Rubio being soft on, we say, hmm, hmm, you know, that's probably true. And that's the way this works. Uh, If we've got time to make our cut, uh, Sebi, what about number eight? Honestly, I think Jeb is a very nice person. He's a very nice person. But we need tough people. We need toughness. We need intelligence and we need tough. Jeb said when they come across the southern border, they come as an act of love. You said in September 30th that ISIS was not a uh, Am I talking or are you talking, Jeb? I'm talking right now. I'm talking. You can go back. You're not talking. talking. You interrupted me, Jeb. September 30th, you said Are you going to apologize, Jeb? No. Well, there, maybe more than anything, right there is the difference between Donald Trump and everybody else. Or maybe at least right there is the difference between Donald Trump and Jeb Bush and people like him. Let's face it. 
as I tweeted just before the show today, we now have two solid schools of thought here. This entire Republican field, irrespective of how many candidates it has, has broken down into two philosophies. One is Trump slash Cruz. The other is uh, Rubio slash Bush. And it's clear that the establishment rhinos are beginning to warm to Rubio because they understand what we already know. Bush! Abba Bush is gone! Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And these are my partners, one 888 Have you figured out yet which candidate? I'm not saying there's been a plethora of evidence here to lead you to the conclusion. There was yesterday. There was the night of the debate. But have you determined yet which candidate knowing that the facts forced him or her into having to take a life-or-death stand, did. They've taken that stand. And now they are engaged desperately in an attempt to try and mitigate their guilt, mitigate their involvement, mitigate their history, and... If you need a further hint, try to drag somebody else who was on the other side of it into it with them. But first, we will continue and conclude in this segment with our our tasting. This is what's called a wine tasting. Only here the wine is spelled W-H-I-N-E. Wine number nine. Please. Donald, uh, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. That's not going to happen. You know what, folks? <clears throat> and this is a pet peeve of mine I will not go into now again. Yes, you can insult your way to the presidency. I don't mean with particular regard there to Donald Trump or Heb Bush or anybody else, but that's what's wrong with televised audiences in great big debate halls that are constructed for concerts and prize fights and, uh, you know, all of those things. Those things are overproduced. They pack the hall. There is no question. There, there, there is no question as to two matters. There is no question. If you have a question and you want the nationally broadcast fight of your life, one 3393 I'll announce the beginning. It won't be a fair fight because I have written, produced, and directed uh, films, video, uh, talk shows, uh, commercials in uh, uh, almost all of the states of this country and several other countries for 30 years. It's what I've done. It's what I do. Doesn't mean I'm right. 
Doesn't mean I'm right. Just means I have a little bit to draw on. And I'll tell you there are two incontrovertible facts here. The first is that audience reactions have an absolute impression on the viewer. The live audience reactions, whether they laugh, whether they boo, whether they heckle, whether they give a standing ovulation, all of these have an unmistakable, unmistakable, absolute reaction effect on you and me listening at home. Think of it. When a guy says something that's intended to be funny and nobody laughs. But his opponent makes a lame joke and everybody laughs uproariously. Somebody says something and people boo. His opponent says the same thing. Nobody boos. They applaud. I'm not going to get into the weeds on this. There is no question I'm conversant with the psychology of, the science of, such as it is, with the study of, with the culture of, advertising, communications, media, especially vis-a-vis politics. Uh, In fact, there ain't nobody on the radio that touches us on this. And that's my simple part one statement is, audience reaction of the broadcast audience absolutely influences what people sitting at home think. Therefore, whenever an audience might be weighted or unfairly packed with supporters and or detractors of one candidate or another, you are rigging the game. Okay, because given fact A, there is inescapably fact B. If, in fact, audience reaction affects how viewers feel, then what follows inescapably is the fact B. Uh, If it's a packed house, it influences it one way or the other. Fact A was demonstrably obvious on Thursday night. No, Tuesday night. Fact B is demonstrably obvious. That house was packed, and it was packed for Bush against Trump. Secondarily, for Rubio against Cruz. And if someone wanted to give me the money and time to do a pH level, uh, PhD level dissertation and a film breakdown. Hell, forget the PhD, even forget the money. If I just had the time and the access to the materials, uh, I, I could prove to you empirically that what I've just said is true. Believe me, if it were common on the other side working against Democrats, oh, there'd be plenty of studies. Plenty of studies. Let's go to cut number 10. You have to be able to look at the big picture and understand that it's actually merciful if you go ahead and finish the job rather than death by a thousand pricks. So you are okay with the deaths of thousands of innocent children and civilians. It's, it's like... You got it. 
There it is. So there is the question of the conservative. That's Hugh Hewitt of Harvard. That's the Hewitt. That's the conservative on the panel saying to Dr. Carson, so, you know, just, 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 just to get it straight, just let me slip this by real quick for the record. So you're okay with the slaughter of innocent women and children. And Hewitt's thinking, oh, just please say yes. Just quickly say yes and we can move on. And that way I've crucified you. This is what we mean by fairness. That's fairness on the panel. Did you see the conservatives? Did you see the balance of communists and conservatives on the panel? Hugh Hewitt, a unrelenting, unreconstituted left-winger, is the conservative on the panel. And then they pack it with communists and say, hey, hey, we had a conservative. What are you talking about? Number 11. There comes a time, you know, when you're on an airplane, they always say, in case of an emergency, oxygen masks will drop down, put yours on first, and then administer help to your neighbor. We need oxygen right now. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that since. So I don't know how that's been interpreted, but I'm virtually certain it has not been interpreted, if at all, to the advantage of Dr. Carson. Although, uh, this is a moment uh, appropriate for me to mention. Doctor, heal thyself. Not only do I hear that Dr. Carson may have been the source of the unrelenting uh, cough the other night, but whether or not he was, I would go have x-rays taken. Uh, in this case, though, Dr. Carson could come see me, the political doctor, because Dr. Carson is not a well man, politically speaking. Dr. Carson, if he doesn't do well in Iowa, he's going to be a very, very, very sick political man. If a week later he doesn't do well in New Hampshire, Dr. Carson is going to be what we call a cadaver politically. Number 12. And, you know, one of the most troubling aspects of the Rubio-Schumer Gang of Eight bill was that it gave President Obama blanket authority to admit refugees, including Syrian refugees, without mandating any background checks whatsoever. Now, we've seen what happened in San Bernardino. When you're letting people in, when the FBI can't vet them, it puts American citizens at rest, at risk. And I tell you, if I'm elected president, we will secure the border. We will triple the border patrol. We will build a wall that works, and I'll get Donald Trump to pay for it. It was a great line. And my friends, I have no other clues to offer. One candidate was forced or felt forced to push all of his or her chips to the center of the table 48 hours ago. The soundbite you just heard, and of course it isn't Cruz, because I'm not, you're not like, you know, this is not like the special ed broadcast. I mean, so I'm not going to give clues that are the answer, but 
This is as close as I get to actually spelling out the answer for you. But what you just heard Ted Cruz say is the fattest, biggest clue there is to the issue and to the candidate that Cruz forced to own it or to deny it and then be called a liar. And that candidate decided, I can't lie about this, so I had better make the best of it. I'm going to push all my chips to the center of the table here in what is the World Series of Political Poker. Who was that man? one 888 Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. It's the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. With my radio family at 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Let's go to the phones. John from Indy, welcome. Hey, Jay. How are you? Hey, John. So I I'm well, have a you. pretty good feeling that you're talking about Rubio as far as putting all of his chips on the table. You have a pretty good feeling. Uh, and tell me tell me what that feeling is. He just, he he's starting to fess up to all the mishaps that he has, I guess, if that's what you want to call them. Um, well, he, here's what I want to call it. Ted Cruz called out Marco Rubio on his perhaps fatal, weak political hand on immigration. Sure. In an exchange between Rubio and Cruz, I believe by far the most significant, the most monumental of the night, John. Rubio was forced to finally say, yes, yes, I'm for a path to citizenship. For, and then I think all of the ears, all of the rest of the words were never heard by the people who vote in Republican primaries. What you've got on record, and again, right or I'm not judging right or wrong. I'm merely saying politically speaking, what you've got is, this is mathematics here. This is the math part of the SAT, not the verbal part. And you've got uh, people listening who are going to vote in the Republican primary. And we don't need to bore each other with where they are on illegal immigration. And I cannot believe, well, I do believe exactly why I believe it is why I believe. The the networks have not broadcast this. This has not been a broadcast highlight of the debate uh, from uh, 48 hours ago. And the reason it isn't is because it drives a stake through the heart of Marco Rubio and his chances to win this nomination. I told my wife that this morning. Good for you. No, it's right. You're Marco Rubio, gang of eight, colleague of Chuck Schumer, colleague of John McCain, for amnesty. 
How does that play in a Republican primary, Buster? Yeah, it's not going to work. You nailed it. All right. Thanks, Jay. Hey, along with a promotion to field commander in this corps. So I want you to know there will be a better food, but no increase in pay for your service here. Okay. I'm used to it. John, thank, thank, thank you, and thank you for that, and thank you for your contribution here. John nailed it. John was the first. That was it. That's what all the hints and teasing was about. That's what the debate. Tell me anything else. The debate came down to the other night. It came down to impressions. We talked yesterday for two hours about who, you know, did what, how well relative to what they needed to do or failed to do. But there's one polit- This is why audience laughter and applause makes a difference in what you think you're seeing at home. This is a, a sibling of the same point. And that is, if the media doesn't make a big deal out of this, you don't think it's a big deal. The media should have been broadcasting every minute since Thursday night, since Tuesday night. Rubio admits to amnesty. Rubio admits to amnesty. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest. My radio family, I am Jay Severin. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network. Excelsior. Okay, radio family, I think we're uh, gathered here around the political fire, such as it is. And uh, I think we now know, uh, I, I, I think we now know how we felt, and I, I, I'm dying to hear from you if you feel differently. If there's a new angle on this, let it be heard here on The Blaze. But I think... We know by now how we feel. Carly, Kasich, Paul, Christie, Bush, Carson, Rubio, Cruz, and Trump in pretty much ascending order of viability. Carly, Kasich, Paul, Christie, Bush, Carson, Rubio, Cruz, Trump. I think we all have a sense of how we feel they did. The question is now what it all means. And this is the point in the show, today's show, where we talk about what it meant, where we are, where we're going. And uh, before I get rolling here too much i want to get our one of our partners on the phone but i will say this in advance as i tweeted just before the beginning of the show 
we now have two distinctive schools of thought or three groups, maybe four, depending on how thinly you want to slice it. I think that the the three group school of thought is what we've got. I think we've got Donald Trump or Ted Cruz. I think the second one is we've got Marco Rubio or Hebbush. And then thirdly, we have the collateral damage, which is everybody else. Nobody else on that stage at 6.30 or 8.30 is going to be around on, I'm trying to think of an appropriate date in March of next year. But they're going to start dropping in droves, especially after the first few primaries. Because that's when all of them are promising forward. You know what it means to promise forward, right? I guess all promises are made forward, come to think of it. But they're all promising forward. And just like, you know, you tell your girlfriend, just as as soon as I finish this quarter, I'll be in a better position and, you know, we can get married. Or I just need to get through this fiscal year. Or I just need my wife to agree to uh, the uh, custody with the kids and I'll marry you. Or I just need... Uh, to do this one thing and then I'm going to move up to buy that new home or okay all the candidates in this race are promising their supporters and as heartbreaking as this is the people who work the hardest the the volunteers the people who work for minimum wage the, the the secretaries in the office the people who knock doors and you know, hang leaflets and put them under, go out in the rain and put leaflets under windshield wipers and shopping plazas. I've been one of those people. I, I, I was one of those geeks when I was in grade school. I was volunteering, going down and getting buttons and handing out stickers and, 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 and putting stickers on people's cars and catching hell from it from my parents because I didn't know you couldn't do that. And, you know, all of those people are not, are not cared about. The candidates care about cha-ching. Big surprise. They care about the money people. And they have been forward promising unless they don't have to. You know, if you're in the top two, three, four, you you don't have to beg. But once you get beyond number three or four, you have to beg. And what you've been promising is this is all going to turn around after the next debate. This is all going to turn around after Christmas. This is all going to turn around after the first primary. That's where you really get them. Because that's where desperation time comes in. All of these candidates who are below number three are going to be forward-promising their money, people. Just wait. Just wait till Iowa. All right, all right. Iowa didn't go quite as we hoped. Just wait till New Hampshire. Okay, okay. I was wrong on New Hampshire, but just wait till South Carolina. 
et cetera, et cetera, then they're going to start dropping like flies. I have more to say. I know that's no surprise to you. Jeremy from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, welcome. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hey, Jeremy. We we, we miss you up here, buddy. <laughs> um, no reason you know, to. I'm here. I'm here as I we know, speak. Exactly. My mommy might remember actually Mary from Wareham, and she wanted me to make sure that she said hello. <laughs> oh, please. Um, thank you, and to give her my love. I, I, I'm within an hour's drive of you and her. Awesome. No kidding. Excellent. Um, we, we're we both kind of torn between Trump and Cruz because, of course, you know, we're really sick and tired of the, the political correctness, and, you know, Trump, obviously, in the first debate, he really started, you know, he stuck out, and Yep. We liked a lot of things that he had to say. Some things he does go a little over on the deep end on. And, you know, the first two debates, you know, we weren't really overly impressed with Cruz. And this this final surge that he just took, I think, in the last debate, I think, you know, really helped Cruz. But I want to know, like, and of course our government doesn't want us overly informed. I want to know if is he really siding with more of, like, Trump's views because, He's realizing that that's where the public is, and that's where that's how we really, a lot of us are feeling. And I, I, I'm torn between the both of them. And if if they were mixed together, we'd have a heck of a candidate. And I'll hang on to see what you have to you know to say about. Well, don't go away. Don't go away. Right, don't go away. My my answer to you is naturally a question: Can we ever know, Jeremy? what the candidates are really thinking? No, exactly. I no. hear you. No, right, okay. I, I mean, I, I, I've been with them, making my living with them for all my life, all my professional life. Did I ever know at any given moment what they were really going to do? Now, sometimes I did because I was actually a lot smarter than some of my clients. But I had clients who were a lot smarter than I. And they were two steps ahead of me, maybe five steps ahead of me. And they were doing things that I had to figure out in this three-dimensional chess game. Okay, why is he really doing this? And, you know, why is he only telling me that he's doing that? Why is he not being truthful with me? Because he's either lying to me or he's a dope. And I know he's not a dope. So what am I missing here? It was a constant Constant guessing game. Did, did you by chance see the movie Munich? Yes. Yep. You remember the movie Munich? Yes, absolutely. I liked it very much. It reminded me of my life in politics without the immediate gunfire. And because <laughs> every sad. time they learned something... They had to sit around, they were eating dinner, and they said, wow, aren't we great? We figured this out, we found this guy, we blew this guy up. And then all of a sudden, when someone was in the middle of of helping someone else to some more salad, he said, wait a second, suppose that's what the Arabs wanted us to know. Suppose they're feeding us this so they know we'll get this and we'll kill this guy, and that's who they want to kill but we'll kill him, and then they'll leak the fact that we killed him. And you know, are we being are we smart or are we being manipulated here? You know, like children, and that that's part of this game. And so I bring it back to our original point. All of that having been said, Jeremy, 
I trust Ted Cruz as much as I can trust anyone in the business of politics. I trust Ted Cruz because of his background. I trust him because he's not a, a rich kid. He's wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He worked his way up. I trust him, believe it or not, because he went to Princeton. Because I'll bet Ted Cruz lived a pretty lonely life at Princeton. I know Princeton. And the political correctness will arrive at Princeton in maybe another hundred years. Ted Cruz was the poor Hispanic kid. And that's the way I'll bet he was referred to uh, behind doors at Princeton. I'm kind of I'm going to bet he wasn't invited to any of the elite organizations at Princeton. He went to Princeton, but I wonder if he was ever of Princeton, if you know what I mean. And then he went to Harvard, where I wonder the same, except at Harvard, your background is far less considered uh, of you as a person than it is at Princeton. And if you are smart, that's all that matters. And I think that where he really came into his own was at Harvard Law School. And, and, and I don't think it's been easy for Ted Cruz, but I believe him. In any case, Jeremy, we have no choice. We can either say they're all full of it or maybe there's someone I'm going to trust my instincts on and I believe him. And I look at all of Ted Cruz, his life, his background, his experience, his accomplishments, his intellect, everything about him, Jeremy. And I say, okay, I'm not eager to fall in love again. I'm not ready to have my heart broken again, but I'm going to do it one more. I'm going to fall in love one more time. I'm willing to do it. And I really believe in, I really believe in Ted Cruz. I believe he is the most simple, and I don't mean simple, but I mean I mean the most most unadorned, uncomplicated, straightforward, basic, conservative-minded, patriotic person to run for president in a hundred years and maybe more. And Jeremy, all I could tell you is, I trust him. If you trust me, then I I hope you'll trust him. And I hope I don't break both our hearts. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. And partners at the same Blaze Radio Network. one 3393 Ed from California. Welcome. How are you doing, good, Jay? Uh, good Jay is doing fine. Thank you. How good, Ed? Oh, that's good. I want to talk to you a little bit about this due process thing. Um, they're, t- they're talking about uh, social In the context of what? Uh, there's a friend of mine, he's a member of Three Percenter, he's a decorated Marine National Guard. He's just been arrested for having his too short of barrel out of his rifle. He was out there at the Bundy Ranch and taking care of business out there, you know, so that the feds right. weren't grabbing all that stuff. 
His name is Skylar right. Barbeau. Right. And right now he's being held without due process. By the way, if I can help, if I can help advance the uh, agenda here, innocent. Exactly. Innocent. For, for a short barrel on a rifle. Now, now he's innocent. Now the U.S. The U.S. Attorney's Office is saying that he was trying to buy a fifty caliber rifle, which isn't against the law. It's not against the law at I all. I know. I know. And, and my gun shop sells them. I want one. I'm hoping for one in my stocking. Okay. Yeah, I would love to have one myself. But the FBI is now saying that they're worried about him and his supporters. That's why he's not being released. He's not being released. And they went on the social media. Him and, and his supporters? Posts. That's yeah, that's in the complaint? Yes. Well, what, what, does that, what, what the, do they mean by that? I, I couldn't tell you what they mean. Well, what because, what do you, you suspect? Know, from, what do you suspect they mean? What I suspect they mean is that they care more about these Islamic terrorists coming in, so we don't mess with the Islams. Because evidently, you can't say anything. You can't look on the social media of anybody coming into this country. But they looked on his social media contact, saw him with a rifle, and supposedly saw him with some explosives or something, which Canaanites not illegal. Last I knew, is he of is is he is he of uh, what we might call a uh, questionable descent? No, sir. No, sir. He's a three percenter. He was at the Bundy Ranch. He's a decorated Marine. He's a member of the National Guard. No, no, you told that these facts are already in evidence. I so that much I know. I mean, I just. I I'm not astounded because I know the lower level that you go, you know, locally, the more local you go in things like this, the greatest the outrages can occur because they're exactly because they're not national stories. Uh, I don't know if there's some way to help. I would love to. I'd love to learn more. If you could well, send just, me more information, just, maybe I could by, try to be helpful, but. I'm sorry. Just by taking my call, you've made it helpful. Well, the the notion that uh, the minute you said former Marine, that's all you need to say. I mean, that uh, you would have to loose an inv- a stream of invective about this guy so cutting and obscene in order for it to cancel out Marine that you'd have to be speaking for six hours. Oh, absolutely. And I, the notion that an American Just, saws two inches off his barrel or does anything he wants he with his firearm. He didn't, anything. He didn't, he didn't even touch his firearm. They just said it was too short of a barrel for some reason. And like I said, he was out to the Bundy Ranch trying to, with all. Yeah, yeah no, I know that. I, 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 please, let's, let's not repeat. And, I'll tell you, part of the problem no. is the people who are in the business of making these accusations of our former Marines. One of their deep-seated problems is psychological, and I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from their having too short a barrel, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I'm not going to say the big P word that, you know, <laughs> the colonel, the general said, but I, or Colonel Peters, I won't say the, that big P word. 
not on your radio. I won't disrespect your radio. Show. No, 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 no. I, I, I thank you. I look. I wish we could. There's no reason we oughtn't be able to say it. I mean, I uh, Rush actually said something today on air that I listened to and said, I'm not sure I can repeat that, even though it was printed in the Daily Caller. And for those of you who can just go ahead and real flip quick look up the Daily Caller, uh, the uh, the Daily Caller today online printed the uh, jihadi message to women jihadists because we know men get 73 virgins. I, I still contend that's a Quranic typo and they get 73 Virginians like the cast of uh, Deliverance, like those guys on the porch, those guys in the woods. I think they get 73 Virginians, but uh, for those who insist they get 73 virgins, okay, I would counter by saying, did you see this so-called woman's picture at the airport when she's coming into the country? Did, does it really help to have 73 of those? Ah! Ah! But in any case, today they printed, what does the woman jihadist get? I'm not going to say it, but look it up. Jay. Seven on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. And my partners, that's you, whether or not you like it, because you are here. It's too late to erase those words. You could turn the radio dial, but you still heard those words. Made you listen. Made you listen. I made you listen. And you heard the words. You are my partners. one 3393 one so, where are we? Where are we after the debate? Here's where we are. Clearly, there are a number of people holding on for dear life. Then there are people trying to finesse the nuance of where they're going to be. Right now, the biggest fight in politics, and for all of us, for any of us, any of you, I don't know quite how appropriately to put it here, but for anyone who doesn't wish to see Donald Trump stay in the front of all of this, I've got some bad news. Donald Trump remains in front of the parade, and I see absolutely nothing as of this moment that even vaguely suggests that he's not going to be in front of the parade, leading the parade. And as I project forward, I cannot imagine, although one never can, but uh, even Guruji, holy cow. But I, I, I cannot, I'm really trying to imagine the nature of the dynamic that would change such that the Donald Trump that is known and uh, Dr. Seabass, could you cough up audio bite number, what's it? It's the cough. No, no, it's not, sorry, it's not the cough. 
It's the it's triad. Do you have triad available? Face uh, the right three now. legs of the triad, though, do you have a priority? Because I want to go to Senator Rubio well, I, I after think, that. I think him. to me, Luke, nuclear is just the, the power, the devastation is very important to me. <laughs> wait, wait, do it again, do it again. Here, here's Donald Trump being asked about, and this is a term of art. Now, I know hidden in the audio, it's easy to miss, hidden in the audio is the word triad. And this is a guy asking a prospective commander-in-chief of the United States, asking him about triad, which is the probably the single most uh, vital, crucial, significant operational platform of our national defense in the event of war. It's called triad. Now, I want you to think back. If you were asked this question in grade school, high school, college, or right now, well, I want you to think about knowing what triad is, knowing what the stakes are, knowing that he was standing in front of an international audience of billions. Here is the question, and here is the next president, maybe, answer to it. Uh, of the three legs of the triad, though, do you have a priority? Because I want to go to Senator Rubio well, I, I after think, that. I think him. to me, Luke, nuclear is just the, the power, the devastation is very important to me. <laughs> Stop it. You're killing me. Really? I think maybe really you're killing me. Of the triad system, is there any particular leg of that stool? of the triad that you prioritize, that you find more important? Answer. I think that triad is a known Chinese gang in downtown New York and that we ought to arrest them. No? Is that not right? All right, let me try again. I think triad is a very tasty gum and I chew it all the time and I recommend it as do most dentists for people who chew gum. No, is that not it? Okay. Uh, oh, triad. Oh, triad. Oh, that's different. Why didn't you say so? Oh, triad. Oh, well, well that's nuclear. And I think it's important. <laughs> If this were Saturday Night Live, they would say, no, we can't, right? We can't run that. No one's going to believe That's not even funny because it's too funny to be real. This stuff has to be kind of real or it can't be funny. No one, no one who's running for president of the, no one who is favored right now, at least in one party to be the next president of the United States, could answer a question that, a dope like me on the radio could offer a better answer to, or at least define what it is, at least have some passing conversance with what it is. This is a guy who wants to be president. And if we could hear one more time. Face uh, of the right three now. legs of the triad, though, do you have a priority? Because I want to go to Senator Rubio well, I, after I think, that. I think him. to me, Luke, nuclear is just the, the power, the devastation is very important to me. 
It's very important. <laughs> it's it's very important. Anyone want to disagree? Here, I'll yield the remaining time to anyone up or down the line here who wants to disagree with me that nuclear power is very important. Anyone? Anyone? Go ahead, please. Take 30 seconds. Take a minute. Take me to lunch. Really, anyone? 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 Nuclear power is important. You know what this is the equivalent of? I know that I'm dating myself, but it's up to you to keep up with profound cultural developments. It's up to you. And I speak here of a particular profound cultural development known as the film Animal House. Now, if you have not seen Animal House, you've no one to blame but yourself. So don't don't bitch and moan about it. Don't blame anyone. Just see it as quickly as possible. For a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that it is a perfect anthropological ethos of an entire couple of generations. That, that is the ethos of when my father went to college through pretty much when I went to college. And if you don't know that and you can learn it, if you can learn intimately the ethos, the thinking of the people who uh, went to not just college. This was written about Dartmouth College, by the way. Uh, you, you can read the book, The Making of Animal House, by Chris. I can't remember his last name. Uh, he was there. He was in. He was one of the characters in Animal House. He was there. He was in Delta House at Dartmouth. So this was not just a school. It was an Ivy League school. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I, 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 I went to a similar institution. And <clears throat> so did Buck. Ask Buck. Ask me. This is this represents the operational ethos. Margaret Mead could have parachuted into Dartmouth just as easily as parachuting into Samoa, uh, where she studied the natives. Coming of age in Samoa, her, her famous work, she could have done coming of age at Dartmouth. I'm telling you, this is an anthropological slash sociological slash psychological study. The first of its kind, it could also be called an enormous comedy hit. And it's the most important American movie perhaps ever made. Animal House. Please let me know if you've seen it. Please let me know when you've seen it. Because we can talk. We can talk about Animal House. All right. At the beginning of Animal House, when the camera is panning around the campus during the opening credits portion of the film, there is a statue to the founder, as there is at virtually all institutions of higher learning uh, of any distinction, except, of course, Marist or Monmouth or Quinnipiac. But apologies later, maybe. But there is always usually a prominent figure cast in bronze in the square, the, the, uh, the quad, 
if you will. And I really, I, 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 maybe this sounds snooty, but if you didn't go to a college with a quad, you might still be able to get a refund. But in the quad, there was always a statue uh, of the founder. So as in the opening of Animal House, the camera uh, pans around the campus, it shows a figure cast in bronze. He is the founder of uh, Faber College, the the uh the uh, uh the not comic the uh fictional the fictional campus on which the film you are about to see is taking place and the founder's name is Eugene Faber and Eugene Faber's quote uh, evidently the one for which he was best and I suspect only known uh, was this quote knowledge is good <laughs> <laughs> period end quote that's it knowledge is good well that stood alone among the pantheon of thinkers until Donald Trump said, nuclear power, uh, to me, it's important. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. So, until tomorrow, here's where we are. The biggest battle raging, in fact, as well as the biggest battle being covered in media, you know, they're not always the same thing. The media will create one if they don't have one, right? There has to be fresh bread in the window every day, whether or not there's bread. You warm up yesterday's and you say, new. Improved, okay? So the biggest battle, in fact, and via contention, is the battle about amnesty between Rubio and Cruz. Rubio was forced to push all of his chips to the table by Cruz and by circumstances hours ago and say, yeah, yeah, I'm for someone here living in the shadows who doesn't break the law. And he went on with the whole you know, disgusting litany of of justification for why uh, people who commit burglary as their first act of entry into this country and give the finger to us and say, uh, we, uh, foreign lawbreakers, will determine the rules under which we enter your country and by which we stay in it forever while receiving welfare uh, forever. We'll make that decision, not you, middle finger. Okay? So while Rubio laid out the pukish defenses such as they are for that position, everyone else on that stage had 
you know, a storm going on behind their eyeballs because they said, that's it. That's it. We have met the first huge moment other than anything else Donald Trump builds. Huge, huge. We have met the first huge brainstorm in this, and that was Rubio was forced. He had one foot on the platform, folks, and one foot on the train. And given a few seconds, without a choice, that has never worked. You must be on the platform or on the departing train. Rubio got on the train. It's okay. He had a ticket. Because Rubio has always been for giving citizenship and the vote. And this is what this is all about. A very prominent friend, colleague of mine, a name you would recognize, said years ago, you want to make 20, 30 million, because that's the real number. You want to make 20 or 30 million Americans who are here illegally legal? Go ahead. I'll, I'll vote for it. With one condition. They can never vote. They can come here. They can live here. They can be legal. They can get welfare. They can work. They can do all the things that are not necessarily good for this country. I'll let them do it all. But the one thing they can never do is vote. Because the only reason that Democrats are for illegals becoming citizens is to produce 20, 30 million, and then within a generation, 30 to 50 million Democrat votes forever and change this country forever. Well, Rubio was forced to push his chips onto the table and say, I'm for that. I'm for amnesty. I'm for citizenship for illegals. And that was the big bang theory, folks. That was the bang. And since Rubio realized what he had done, he has spent every second since trying to drag Cruz into this, saying, you were for it too. You were for it too. Folks, Ted Cruz wasn't. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. 